Chapter 16 of Original Stories from Real Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Eaton. Original Stories from Real Life by Mary Wollstonecraft. Chapter 16 The Benefits Arising from Devotion. The History of the Village School Mistress. Fatal Effects of Inattention to Expenses in the History of Mr. Lofty. The next morning Mrs. Mason desired the children to get their work and draw near the table while she related the promised history, and in the afternoon, if the weather be fine, they were to visit the village schoolmistress. Her father, the Honourable Mr. Lofty, was the youngest of a noble family. His education had been liberal, though his fortune was small. His relations, however, seemed determined to push him forward in life before he disobliged them by marrying the daughter of a country clergyman, an accomplished, sensible woman. Some time after the birth of his daughter Anna, his elder brother, the Earl of Carmarthen, was reconciled to him, but this reconciliation only led him into expenses which his limited fortune could not bear. Mr Lofty had a high sense of honour, and rather a profuse turn. He was, beside, a very humane man, and gave away much more than he could afford to give, when his compassion was excited. He never did a mean action, but sometimes an ostentatious pride tarnished the lustre of very splendid ones, and made them appear to judicious eyes more like tinsel than gold. I will account for it. His first impulse arose from sensibility, and the second from an immoderate desire of human applause, for he seemed not to be alive to devotional feelings, or to have that rock to rest on, which will support a frail being, and give true dignity to a character, though all nature combined to crush it. Mrs Lofty was not a shining character, but I will read you a part of a letter which her daughter, the lady we are to visit, wrote to me. This being the anniversary of the day on which an ever-loved and much-revered parent was released from the bondage of mortality, I observe it with particular seriousness and with gratitude, for her sorrows were great, her trials severe, but her conduct was blameless, yet the world admired her not. Her silent, modest virtues were not formed to attract the notice of the injudicious crowd, and her understanding was not brilliant enough to excite admiration. But she was, regardless of the opinion of the world, she sought her reward in the source from whence her virtue was derived, and she found it. He who, for wise and merciful purposes, suffered her to be afflicted, supported her under her trials, thereby calling forth the exercise of those virtues with which he had adorned her gentle soul, and imparting to her a degree of heartfelt comfort which no earthly blessing could afford. This amiable parent died when Anna was near eighteen, and left her to the care of her father, whose high spirit she had imbibed. However, the religious principles which her mother had instilled regulated her notions of honour, 
and so elevated her character that her heart was regulated by her understanding. Her father, who had insensibly involved himself in debt after her mother's death, tried many different schemes of life, all of which at first wore a promising aspect, but wanting that suppleness of temper that enables people to rise in the world, his struggles, instead of extricating, sunk him still deeper. Wanting also the support of religion, he became sour, easily irritated, and almost hated a world whose applause he had once eagerly courted. His affairs were at last in such a desperate state that he was obliged reluctantly to accept of an invitation from his brother, who with his wife, a weak fine lady, intended to spend some time on the continent. His daughter was, of course, to be of the party. The restraint of obligations did not suit his temper, and feeling himself dependent, he imagined everyone meant to insult him. Some sarcasms were thrown out, one day by a gentleman in a large company. They were not personal, yet he took fire. His sore mind was easily hurt. He resented them, and heated by wine, they both said more than their cool reason would have suggested. Mr Lofty imagined his honour was wounded, and the next morning sent him a challenge. They met, and he killed his antagonist, who, dying, pardoned him, and declared that the sentiments, which had given him so much offence, fell from him by accident, and were not levelled at any person. The dying man lamented that the thread of a thoughtless life had been so suddenly snapped the name of his wife and children he could not articulate, when something like a prayer for them escaped his livid lips and shook his exhausted frame. The blood flowed in a copious stream. Vainly did Mr Lofty endeavour to staunch it. The heart lost its vital nourishment and the soul escaped as he pressed the hand of his destroyer, whom, when he found him breathless, ran home and rushed in a hurry into his own chamber. The dead man's image haunted his imagination. He started, imagined that he was at his elbow, and shook the hand that had received the dying grasp. Yet still it was pressed, and the pressure entered into his very soul. On the table lay two pistols. He caught up one and shot himself. The report alarmed the family, the servants and his daughter, for his brother was not at home, broke open the door and she saw the dreadful sight. As there was still some appearance of life, a trembling ray, she supported the body and sent for assistance. But he soon died in her arms without speaking, before the servant returned with a surgeon. Horror seized her. Another pistol lay charged on the table. She caught it up, but religion held her hand. She knelt down by a dead father and prayed to a superior one. Her mind grew calmer, yet still she passionately wished she had but heard him speak, or that she had conveyed comfort to his departing spirit. Where? Where would it find comfort? Again she was obliged to have recourse to prayer. After the death of her father, her aunt treated her as if she were a mere dependent on her bounty, and expected her to be a humble companion in every sense of the word. The visitors took the tone from her ladyship, 
and numberless were the mortifications she had to bear. The entrance of a person about business interrupted the narration, but Mrs. Mason promised to resume it after dinner. End of chapter 16